As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. They were the heroes from the future. Teenagers protecting the universe from those that would sow the seeds of chaos. Each had unique powers and abilities. And though they often had their differences, they came together to save the day as the Legion of Superheroes. Now you can be a part of their adventures and learn the history of the future in the Legion Clubhouse. I don't know about you, Matthew, but I do not wear my pajama jam tops tucked inside of my pajama jam bottoms. Well, you don't live in 1954. Superboy number 206, The Legionnaires Who Haunted Superboy. Published January-February 1975, written by Gary Bates with art by Mike Grell. Synopsis, two Legionnaires return from the grave. But what is their terrible secret. It's the Legionnaires who haunted Superboy. Ooh, scary is it? Or is it? Have you figured it out? I'm so tired of Carrie Bates' little puzzle box have you figured it out stories. Yeah. I I'm curious why... So this starts out in a typical day of 1954... Of, Which is weird, because that would be 20 years in the past instead of 10, but okay. Yeah, uh, 1955, 1954, something like that. Yeah, they, they uh, Carrie calls it out, uh, hundreds of small towns in the 1950s. So Superboy is locked in the 50s at this point, even oh, yeah, that definitely. would be more than 20 years ago. Yeah, definitely. Uh, but Susie is walking, uh, Clark is walking Susie to class. We've never met Susie before, and I'm wondering if Lana is sitting back at her house going, you know, Clark never wants a second cup of my coffee. <laughs> I don't know. I, I couldn't find any existence, any background on Susie. My theory is that uh, they put the dialogue in after they drew and colored it and made it clear that that wasn't Lana. Oh, okay. Because I just thought that was really <laughs> weird that it's like, okay, Clark is like attached to Lana mm -hmm. in, I would say... 90% of every Superboy story that we've read. Yeah. And this is this one time that suddenly he's walking somebody else to class and man, her hairdo is definitely not a fifties do. Also, uh, Superboy in his morning rounds is uh, set to demolish a building because you know, it's cheaper than hiring explosive explosives experts. Sure. To come and knock down a building. But before he can do that, uh, some strange man, Oh no. Or should I say a lad 
comes and destroys the building. A lad with really tiny feet and really weak-looking ankles uh, on top of his giant proportioned frame. Huge arms, huge legs. I will say this, the lad, Pharaoh lad. Wait, wait, how can this be? How can Pharaoh lad be demolishing a building in 1955 or 1954 when clearly he blew up? Well, this does bring up an important question of Legion history, which is the fact that the Legion stories take place chronologically for Clark, even though Pharaoh Lad could be coming back to the past from a point in the future where he's still alive at this point. Yeah, no, that is something that I don't think the Legion does enough of. Mm -hmm. Uh, And certainly a lot of time travel stories don't do enough of this where it's like, Oh, Pharaoh lad, um, aren't you dead? And he's like, what? No, no, what? I'm alive. What, what are you talking about? He's like, oh, no, never mind. Um, looks at his watch and says, oh, you'll find out in about, oh, okay. Um, timeline differentiation. Okay. No problem, Pharaoh lad. Just carry along, carry along. But that is definitely something that is not done enough in time travel stories just because I think it's too much of an easy out. But, you know, it's superhero comics. When yeah. have they not gone for the easy out? But that's not that's only the, the that's not the only dead person that Clark's going to encounter this issue. No, because no, as he's walking Susie to class, a parachute man is falling out of the sky without his parachute opening up, and he is captured by some floating invisible force. Or is that an invisible kid? Dun dun dun. And I will say this. I, I said this when Lyle died, and I'll say this now. Feral Lad and Invisible Kid have never looked better than in their momentary appearance in this issue, returning from the dead. Grell has, uh, I will I will admit, occasionally really wonky anatomy. Yes. But man, these characters look good. Oh my gosh, Feral Lad looks amazing. Especially since uh, Invisible Kid died before he got his awesome 70 sideburns. And no, he yet, died with sideburns. And yet like he's back and he's ago. got like super 70 sideburns. And so... Clark Kent in the middle of the night is just like, how can these ghosts be haunting me? And they show up at his house and they're like, because we're real, Superboy. In fact, use your x-ray vision and prove it to yourself. And uh, sure enough, Superboy uses his x-ray vision and looks through their clothing and sees that there's real body and musculature underneath, which makes me wonder, this is probably not the first time Clark has used these powers. Well, in... Makes you wonder why he's walking Susie to class. Steven. I mean, I'm just saying they did that that whole gag on Smallville. I've never seen Smallville, so how would you know? I don't know. But I will say this. He's not looking at their skin. He's looking at the musculature beneath their skin. So unless he's really, really into human tissue, fat, and muscular structures, I would say he may not be looking at Susie. Then again, we don't judge. This is the Legion Clubhouse. YK, okay. What Superboy really needs here mm-hmm. is proof that these two characters are who they say they are. And he's going to do it, you know, and they're just like, well, we'll, we'll, we're just wanting to get back into the Legion when we go back to the future. Right. And Superboy is like, <laughs> that's heavy. And Pharaoh Lad is like... <laughs> And Pharaoh Lad is like, wait, has nothing to do with it. 
Now I'm picturing Feral Lad wearing the wig that Christopher uh, <laughs> Lloyd wore in the first movie. Great Scott! Uh, but also, Clarky, can you explain? Clarky is your cousin, Clarky. <laughs> Something's wrong with Kara? Uh, can you explain Superboy's red light alarm and how it works? Superboy's red light alarm uh, alerts him when a crisis occurs in town. Like, it's... So are the police flipping that switch or is it just some kind of abnormality detector that says, uh oh, we better let Superboy be aware of this? I believe it's actually a supercomputer in the walls. Ah, okay. uh, he also has Superboy robots in the walls. Oh, that's uh, true. Depending on what year it is. So yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I think there's a, there's a computer alarm. Yeah. You know, it's run by punch cards. There was also that one time that Superboy bricked his uh, worst enemy up inside the wall, too. Just right, because he didn't right. like the look on his face. For the love of God, Quexel. Yes, for the love of God. <laughs> so they went out into the swamp. Where apparently some giant robot is about to rise out of the swamp and kill everybody. With a beep boops. And it stands there. You can hear its components clickety clacking. Oh, man. Mechanical computers. That's the only thing that I could think of. You know, like um, uh, B9, uh, the, the, the robot, Robbie the robot. He's kind of like that mechanical. B9 and Robbie are separate robots. Eh, they all I make the same. They that. all make the same. They all make the same sounds. Even. Do don't yeah, even it. even B9 does that too. But just that mechanical computer stuff always fascinates me. And that's the only thing that I can think of when they're talking about these mechanical bits starting to act inside this robot. And I had to do some research. You know, the, the mechanical computer was basically out of style even by the 1950s. They were already doing stuff that required not relays and switches, but things were computer punch cards, by, and especially by the 1970s when this story would have been written, uh, things would be on computer punch cards and electromagnetic tape and not mm -hmm. the electromechanical switches that would have been more the norm just prior to and just during World War II. So it's really interesting that even in our sci-fi of this time, that me mechanical clicking sound of toggles and switches being thrown is, is, is how your computers work or how your robots work. See, I prefer the noises that the robots made in all filmation productions of the 90s. People. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Or the, the computer from uh, the Wonder Woman TV show. That's how I want my computers to sound. I'm sure you can find some uh, sound effects and, and have that be like your Skype ringtone or you've got mail uh, announcement. I'm sure that's, uh, that's out there somewhere. I'm sure it is. Yeah, I'm sure it is. Oh, Meanwhile, hey, Superboy, Superboy gets captured by the robot and uh, Pharaoh Lad and uh, Invisible Kid jump in there and they destroy the robot. And Superboy's like, oh, my gosh, you guys are, are sure indeed superheroes. And they're like, that's all we needed to hear. We're going to go back to the future now and demand our reinstatement into the Legion. And as soon as they land at the Legion headquarters, they blow up. They explode. And the Legionnaires, Monel and Saturn Girl and Brainiac are like, it's just as you predicted. They could only survive for 48 hours. And I'm like, but they exploded? Yeah, that's the part I don't understand is that clones are kind of dangerous. Actually, the clones would be actually kind of neat because you could send them into covert operations. And then if they're yeah, captured, well. they blow up and take their enemies out with them. But wait a minute, Matthew. Brainiac has a cloning program? Yes, and it's the first we've ever heard of it. And I want to say that 
I think the idea that he has a bank of DNA from all the Legionnaires seems a lot more harmless in 1974 than it does to us 45 uh, years you know, down the line. We're actually leaving our DNA everywhere we go, so it's probably not that hard to collect. You know, a little bit of saliva here. Somebody's, you know, they're eating off the fork and you've got your saliva on the fork. You clip your toenails or your super fingernails and Brainiac's just picking those up out of the trash collection bin. So it's yep. probably not that hard to get DNA. We've talked about cloning before on this show um, in the different types of cloning that they have. Um, what we're talking about here is organism cloning and mm. organism cloning I want to say, you know, Dolly the sheep is the one that we talk about as the first, you know, uh, mammal that has been cloned. There has been a number of different types of cloning, including um, cloning of uh, vegetables and mold spores and that kind of stuff. But right. at this time, we are still several years away from even test tube babies uh, being cultured or cultivated uh, at this at this time uh, of the story. There was that big hoax in the early to mid-70s about cloning, where someone came forward and swore that they were a perfect clone of a rich person. Mm. Uh, but yeah, that's a whole nother timeline. I recommend reading the big book of hoaxes if you want more information. It's also drawn by Gay and Wilson, which makes it hilarious. Yeah, so, and, and again, when we talk about cloning uh, people or test tube babies, uh, the first fertilized egg outside of the womb happened in 1969, uh, but it didn't you know, come into practical. Um, the first, uh, what's her name? The baby. Um, I forget what her, what her baby name was because they were trying to keep her, her super secret at the time. Um, but I want to say like the, the time cover of 1978 uh, was all about the test tube baby. And so I want to say it was, it was somewhere right around this time period maybe a little bit after that people are really getting into the whole, can we clone people and how good are these clones, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, so it, it does make sense that we're going to see some kind of clones popping up in our sci-fi at oh, the yeah. same time. Well, and you have to realize that, you know, 1967 is when they started, you know, isolating the enzymes in DNA and isolating genetics and actually breaking down what a gene is. Yeah. Um, I want to say it was 78, um, the, the book in his image, which claimed to be a real book. Ah, uh, okay. And, but yeah, at this point in time, you, there, people are really into DNA sequencing. People are really into, you know, the pop culture of the seventies has a lot of clones in it. Mm -hmm. Now, whether they're real clones or whether they're just like, oh yeah, we duplicated you perfectly using this magic framistat beep boop beep boop device. But I feel like this is, you know, this is something that's actually very much with the 1974 zeitgeist. It's, mm -hmm. ooh, can we recode DNA? Can we build a person over again and make a perfect duplicate? And of course you can in the 30th century, especially I, if you're a brainiac. The other thing that, so let me ask you about this. Is it ethical mm -hmm. for brainiac to be cloning dead uh, Legion members? I mean, because this is the first time we've seen it. We have to assume that either A, this has been a program that's been in place all this time and no one has ever thought about employing it until two Legion members die, at which mm -hmm. point you, one would assume that the Legion members have given their consent for DNA samples to be taken uh, so that they could be cloned in the future. Or maybe Pharaoh Lad and Invisible Kid just had their DNA collected and they didn't know that they might be cloned again in the future. 
What what are some ethical ramifications of that? Well, I feel like the ethics of cloning someone without their consent is going to be right up there with the ethics of walking up to somebody and grabbing their wallet. I mean, at this point, we we currently still have debates and had you know debates for the last ten or fifteen years about whether it's ethical to use someone's image. Uh, you know, putting Fred Astaire in a vacuum commercial is sure. that a problem? Right. I say yes. But the implication here is that the Legionnaires intentionally gave their DNA so that they might be able to be cloned in the future. And if we look at Feralad, Feralad joined and died several quote-unquote years ago in the Legion timeline. The boxes that you see, there are only a few labeled, but it looks as though all of the Legionnaires ever have donated their DNA, presumably with the expectation that they have cells or that they could use the cells to recombinate them afterwards. So I would say the implication here, and again, you know, as I said, it seemed probably more innocent in 74, but the implication was that, yeah, the Legionnaires knew that they might be reconstituted after their accidental deaths. It's kind of, it's played off here a little bit as one of those, the risks you run for being a superhuman kind of things, but. Also, let's it talk really about, is a little creepy. Let's talk about Brainiac's uh, filing system uh, for <laughs> everybody's uh, DNA because uh, it mm-hmm. starts with Invisible Kid, and then right, right. below that is Pharaoh Lad, and then next right. to Invisible Kid is Princess Projectra, then Superboy, mm-hmm. then Monel, then Brainiac Five, Saturn Girl, Moscow right. Mitch, and some other things. Something, something Bernie Sanders. It the list right. goes on and on and on and on down the down the down the line. George R. R. Martin. I, I think, think that's one of them in there. Uh, yeah. So yeah. it's really weird how he has. This organized. The only thing that I can think of is, save for Princess Projectra, these who's coming up in the next story, though, um, these are all the characters that appeared in this issue. Well, and this is the thing. I believe that although they are labeled in English, they're alphabetized in the machine language of Kolu. So Invisible Kid comes first because Invisible Kid's name in Kolu and is zero zero one zero one zero one zero zero one 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 zero 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 one. Then finally, let's talk about the other super weird thing about this story is that Superboy knew this the entire time. So even though he is scamming them, even though he is acting shocked, and even though he's in his own little lair hunched over his uh, little tape recorder, uh, talking about how he's being haunted by the ghosts of legionnaires that he's murdered. Uh, he's really all in in this act, and that's also kind of creepy weird. Well, he's Superboy, so he absolutely heard them clamoring down into his secret lair. Mm. And he's Superboy, which means when the issue opens, and he's like, oh, I must be losing my mind. How can this be? He's clearly overacting. He's super acting if you will, maybe chewing the scenery in the manner of a Charlotte Ray or maybe a Christopher Lloyd. But what I think the most fascinating part of it, as he's sitting there, you can see that Superboy's a Trekkie. Yeah. Because behind him on the shelves, he has a model not only of the Enterprise, but the Galileo 7 shuttle right over his shoulder. Yeah. Again, this is the problem whenever you start copying from Star Trek, your Legion spaceships look exactly like Star Trek stuff. The, yeah, and, the Legion cruiser's on the top shelf, the Enterprise is on the bottom shelf, and you can clearly see, oh, somebody yeah. stole that design. And as we'll find out in the second story, uh, they also start stealing some planet names. Shh, don't tell anybody. 
Welcome home, daughter. Now die. Published January-February 1975. Written by Carrie Bates with art by Mike Grell. Synopsis. Princess Projectra has a dangerous homecoming. So there is a second story in this issue. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's all about Princess Projectra and Karate Kid. And I will say that Karate Kid is being kind of a horrible person in this issue because Princess Projectra hasn't seen her family in a long time. She's just recovered from the space flu. Mm -hmm. And she's like, well, you know what? I think I will go see my family. And Karate Kid is like, you were supposed to be spending time with me. I spent all this time over your bed while you were sick. And now you don't want to spend any time with me? Huh. Women. He's really a, uh, a not a good boyfriend here. And, and, and to our female listeners, if you have a boyfriend that acts like Karate Kid does, uh, you need to dump him. That's, that's, some, that's some advice right here. If, DTMFA, yeah. Yeah, no, this is somebody that you need to get out of your life. I think that what we are seeing here is uh, what the good people at another website that rhymes with Shmeevy Schmopes call the conflict ball. Because there's no real reason for Val, who is generally pretty level-headed, to flip out on her like this. I mean, she literally just got over a bout of Rigel fever. That, that You know where she got that from? From Rigel 7. Yeah. That's where she got it from. You go to Rigel 7. Yeah, uh, you, you fight wait for Gorn. Spock. Yeah, you, you fight. Wait for Spock to show up and rescue you. Right, and you have to fight a Gorn and run from a Gamatu, and then you come back with the Rigel fever. Remember that it's going to come back around later. Oh yeah, but the Rigel I have fever, many questions about this. This is the thing. Unless we are supposed to believe that he's just mad and frustrated because he's so in love with her and he hasn't gotten to see her during her illness. I, I'm not sure how we're supposed to play this off. It just it feels like a jerk move. And oh yeah. Also, I'll say this: the people, only the only thing that saves it is that he has the guts to apologize for being a schmuck. Well, not until way, way, way later in the story. Well, no, but but still. also, also, Karate Kid needs to read the room because there's probably a reason she doesn't want to bring you home to meet her parents. Yeah, she's embarrassed of her parents. Remember, we saw. No, no, Orlando she's embarrassed back. for Karate Kid with the way that he treats her. <laughs> yeah, you're a jerk. We saw, though, back in Adventure 362, she treats Orando like a dirty secret because it's the backwards planet of castles and knigets and swords mm-hmm. and sorcery. Mm-hmm. And they live in a sciencey science world. And what never if she's the two the only, should meet. What if she's the only kid from Orando ever to go to space college? What if, like, <sighs> it's like... It's I the, mean, that's the universal equivalent of, I don't know, backwoods North, Alabama. Well, or, you know, like North Korea, right? Where North Korea is just shut off from the world. And so the only thing that they're getting is information and propaganda from their from their leader. And so they are technologically stunted into a specific time period. And very, very few people know of what's really what the outside world is really like. That could be the way that uh, the the planet is like. That could be the way that everyone there is like. I well, don't know. She says they don't have radio or telescreens, so... Well, I'm going to imagine that mom and dad and some of the higher-ups in this regime all know about space flight and space college oh. and all that stuff, oh, or else she would never have been made a, a Legion uh, member. 
they had to send her off, you know, rocket her off from the planet, as it were. But on her drive home, she's like, wow, uh, here's my home planet. I could have sworn it took longer to get here. And I'm like, "Are you, is the Rachel fever still burning you up here, Jackie? Because I, I drive 20 minutes to work every day. And if I drove five minutes and was suddenly at work, I would know something was wrong. Yeah, or, you know, uh, it used to take, you know, uh, many years ago when we were uh, kids, it took us many years. It would take like five five hours to drive from one end of the state to another. And now Still we can do does. it. In, now we can g- get it done in about two and a half hours. Okay. Um, and that's Your only because... speeding does oh, not No, no, count. I'm not speeding at all. The thing that's changed is the speed limit has changed. So what again, what used to be a four hour drive can now be done in like two and a half, three hours. Um, so maybe she's just not taking into account how fast her new space jet plane goes. And so it just feels like she got there faster. Or, you know, yeah. she's driving she's driving in the opposite direction of the way the universe rotates. And so she's actually going faster. She's she's gaining time. I yeah. followed you across Wyoming, Stephen. You speed. No, I don't. Now, I, I, I actually in any don't. Case, <laughs> Once she arrives on Orando, she's suddenly taken into custody and somebody has taken over her father's throne. And he's like, I shall feed you to the Morgu. What the heck is a Morgu? Well, apparently it's half spider, half Von Baudet creation. It's got three arms with three fingers and three legs. And I think it may be some sort of uh, mathematical incantation. I'm not sure what it's all about. Well, regardless, she's about to be eaten by the Morgu. When suddenly, out of nowhere, Karate Kid shows up and tries to karate chop this thing's leg. Which doesn't work. So his super karate doesn't work. And just before he's ready to be eaten, Princess Projectra turns him into an ugly slime ball so that the Morgu won't eat him. Hmm. I wonder if she's not just projecting, but she's actually showing Karate Kid what he's really being like. Oh, yes, when you say ball. dirty slime balls, we say Karate Kid. Yeah, I can see that. And of course, they realize that she's not on Orando at all. Dun dun dun! Get your kids vaccinated, ladies and gentlemen. Get your kids that vaccinated. Fever. That Rigel Fever is a mean wine, kids, because she's on the wrong planet, and her own powers have been subconsciously creating all of the tortures. Well, except for the Morgu, which is going to eat them. But I, I have one important question. Actually, I have several important questions. Oh, man, there's several but questions going on here. The primary question I have is, Karate Kid follows her in his cruiser. Mm-hmm. They both well, land no, on this asteroid. I don't think he follows in the cruiser. I think he sneaks aboard her cruiser. Really? Yeah. Let's see. Because they do not fly off in two separate ships. I think they just left a ship. I think that they are they are very terrible terrible people also worth noting uh when she is captured they take her flight ring yes what sort of hallucination can take your flight ring a really good one yeah a a really carrie forgot to think about that when he wrote the story one but yeah as the issue ends he apologizes they're back together and i think the most important takeaway from this issue is there is no way that Projector's costume is possible with the fabrics of the 1970s. Because that young woman is flying around in about three yards of red fabric. And with the exception of some sort of glue or tape, which I, I'm thinking would be very uncomfortable. It's all projected. No way it's, it's all projected. projected. Yeah. You just She's think that it's naked. all. Probably. Well, it is the also, Legion. 
Also, a really uncomfortable final panel in this issue that, uh, listeners, you're going to just have to go check out our Twitter feed, The Legion Clubhouse. Or is it just Legion Clubhouse? I forget. I think, I think it's, it's The Legion. At Legion, I don't know. Yeah, at Legion Clubhouse is our Twitter feed. I will post this image for you to go check out. Super it, uncomfortable. Uh, it's a little, it's, it's a it's little a weird. It's a 19-year-old woman. That's, that's, I mean, it's a Yeah, I mean, it's, a, it's adults, but, you know. Yeah. Uh, it's Grell. There's a reason why Grell Legion uh, is always, in my head, the naked Legion. Because, <laughs> yeah. I mean, Cockrum designed the projector costume, I believe, but man, it is a scanty costume. And I agree with you on that last panel. Not so much about the uncomfortable about the holy moly, I can't believe they got away with this in a comic book in 1974. Yeah, no. Uh, they get away with a lot of stuff because uh, no one is uh, keyed in to what those kids are talking about with all their slang and euphemisms and stuff. <laughs> If you enjoy the show, we would appreciate your support. You can find out more and become a Legion Clubhouse member at patreon.com slash major spoilers. Superboy number 207, The Rookie Who Betrayed the Legion. Published March-April 1975, written by Carrie Bates with art by Mike Grell. Synopsis, Betrayed by the science police it gets so it gets so hard um i don't want to say it's it's a bad thing reading all these legion stories mm. but uh when you get four stories in two issues number one you the listener are getting a bargain because you're essentially yeah. getting two major two uh you're essentially getting two legion clubhouse episodes in one but yeah. uh yeah and those brain cells will eventually grow back but so there's a rookie, apparently, who's going to betray the Legion. Yes. Also, now, if I'm not mistaken, if I'm not mistaken in this opening panel, I, I believe this is the first time that we're getting a look at Light Lass's new costume. This is the costume she had starting in 200 uh, at the wedding. And okay. She wore it in 202 when they fought the Devilfish. However, you are right about one thing. This is the first thing we get a look at Light Lass being a blonde. Oh, that's right. She has always been a redhead, with the exception of, uh, I think, either last issue or the issue before, 202, the lore of the Legion had her as a blonde, and I chalked it up as a coloring mistake, but mm -hmm. now she's blonde in this issue. And she will also, be forever. Well, no. Uh, the cover of 207 is actually done uh, by Mike Grell, who did the interiors, which means that this is the, well, last issue would have been the last time we see Nick Carty, uh, one of DC's classic silver and bronze age cover artists on Legion hmm. going forward. Grell actually takes over Legion covers and stays on the covers longer than he stays on the interiors. Interesting. 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 Well, we'll have to watch this. Uh, the president of the United planets is there talking and he's like, everyone prepare yourselves. Universo is back. And they don't identify him, but yeah, they do. They call him is... Universo. No, they don't identify the president, but this is President Kandro Boltax. Oh, okay. The president from Boltax that last from, universal story. From Battlestar Galactica? No, you're thinking of Baltar. Oh, okay. This is the guy that Universo pretended to be right. during that last universal story back in the Adventure Comics days. Yeah. I, it's also interesting that they use picto slides. It's almost like it's a still image, not a 
not any kind of video playback here, which is also really kind of weird. Again, thinking about, you know, videotape exists in 1974. This is how major TV networks are doing their news. Uh, Three quarter inch beta uh, tape is very common at this point. VHS is about to come out. I do know, though, that there were still a lot of news stories that would use, you know, a still image to convey the information. But I just think it's really weird that the president of the United Planets only has access and that a security system would only have slides as opposed to video of Universo escaping. Well, actually, you can't see it because it's a still image, but it is a 3D moving slide. Oh, okay. With sound and smell vision Yeah. Later on, we do find out uh, Universo's real name, Argus Ornax II, better known as Universo, which... I will say that this is a great way of changing up the complaint that we had a couple of episodes ago where we were talking about how it's always like, oh, as you know, blah, 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 blah is actually this. Here they're actually doing it uh, in a different way, but still doing the as you know. Yeah, but the thing about it that's annoying is that Argus Oranx III ends up being retconned away as an alias because we already know the name of Universo's son, Rond Vidar. Right. And so the decision is made somewhere down the line that, oh yeah, his name is really Vidar. His last name is Vidar. So Argus Oranx third. Actually, it sounds an awful lot like somebody you might see as the villain in an 80s movie. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like stripes i'm argus oryx the third <laughs> yeah. uh, also we get introduced to this uh space police guy who's not really i don't even think he's part of the the true space police because this is a weird this is a weird costume for the space police this is the new look going forward for the science police gross it's ugly this is what the science police are going to wear going forward they're going to wear spanks gross it's and- ugly And they're going to wear a bedpan on their head. That's what it looks like. With a little visor like Battle of the Planets. This is what they look like for another seven or eight years. And we do meet Rune Devron. Yeah, you know, Rune Devron, who who we will never hear from again. I'll have you know that Rune Devron appears 18 times in the next decade and a half. Damn it. Whenever they need a recurring character who's an idiot. Uh, not as often as GGQ Samano, not as often as Siobhan Aaron, but he is one of our recurring named science police characters well into the 80s Legion. I want to say he lasts all the way to the end until the five-year gap and then disappears completely and never appears again. Yeah, so he agrees. He's like, hey, look, um, Universo got my partner killed. And so now I need to go and avenge his death. I'm with you guys. And they're like, sure, okay, whatever. Science police tagging along. That's, I that's guess fine. that's, you know, okay. We are, you know, sanctioned by the United Planets. Why wouldn't we let the science police go with us? And so then they go to the Rigel planetoid system. Again, Rigel popping in. Yep. And as Universo is escaping, our science police friend zaps Chameleon Boy. Yep. And says, Universal, we are now even. <gasps> what? He's a traitor? Apparently. He's then, the rookie who betrayed the Legion? I guess. A rookie science police cop man. But what I don't we, know, man. What, but what we really find out is that Universal 
in one of his moments of trying to be a good guy, mm-hmm. actually saved a doofus boy here. Devron. Devron. I think his last name is James, right? Um, no, actually, his last name is Institute. He'll teach you electronics. <laughs> so Devron uh, is basically repaying back Universo. Universo helped him escape. Again, once, once again, proving that not all supervillains are truly evil. Uh, and to pay him back, he is letting Universo escape and get away. And that is Devron's greatest shame. Yeah, there are a few problems here, too. Uh, first of all, Universo doesn't get away because his plan is to disguise himself as Superboy and fly away and disguise Superboy as him, which I suppose will work if you know you're an illusion caster. But something happens in here that confuses me greatly. Both Superboy and Universo are flying, can fly. Right. And Lightlass uses her powers quickly before Superboy flies out of range to make him super weightless. How does making someone who I, can my, fly weightless mean that they can't fly? So my only guess is it has to do with inertia, right? So like if you're in space, you're uh-huh. weightless, but uh-huh. you can't just propel yourself in a particular direction. You know, you have to have something else propelling you to move in that direction when you're weightless. And so that's, that's my only guess is that by making him weightless, he has no ability to propel himself forward any further thus right. stopping him. That's the only thing that I can guess. Yeah, I don't think that works that way. Pretty sure it because does. Because we've seen him fly in weightless space. Super, I mean, Superboy flies through suns. I don't know. I, again, I don't know the mechanics of the Kryptonian flight mechanism. They may have secret impellers in their bottom that go... Or but, maybe maybe the flight ring is... I don't, I don't know, but um, yeah, whatever. Way to go, Light Lass. Yeah, she saves the day. And it turns out that the Superboy that she thought she saved is actually the Universo that she didn't want to save. And Divron is like, all right, everything's fine, even though I betrayed my oath and shot a Legionnaire in the back. Ha ha, freeze frame. Also, I want to know what happened in Africa. (laughs) Because that's where Divron got eaten by the giant uh, plant. But he's like the... The mutated jungles of Africa, yeah. Yeah, the mutated jungles of Africa. What's going on in the mutated jungles of Africa? How did they become mutated? Is this one of those other uh, Command D uh, secret uh, references as as to what has happened in between the time that we see Superboy as a boy in Smallville and the future? I have no idea. I have never seen the mutated jungles of Africa before, nor do I think we ever see them again. In fact, the next time I remember seeing Africa, it's uh, the Ivory Coast when we meet Invisible Kid. And it's, you know, just like everything else, it's this industrialized metropolitan area. So, I don't know. It's really weird. That's all I can say. (laughs) It's a Legion story. Yeah, well, they're all weird. Lightning Lad's Day of Dread, published March-April 1975, written by Carrie Bates with art by Mike Grell. Synopsis, Lightning Lad faces the specters of his past. Okay, last story in this issue. Oh my god. If we get one more origin story, 
of Family Matters with Lightning Lad and his sister and their evil brother. I might just scream. I mean, no, there is, and I, I don't know what it is. Why do you think that the the Lightnings, why do you think we get their retelling of their story so many times, and yet we never really get an origin story of Saturn Girl? We never really have multiple retellings of Monel's story or even Cosmic Boy's story, origin story, except that he was a metal metal ball Sphero uh, player. Why are we why do we get Lightning Lad and Lightning uh, Light Lass and uh Light Light Lord? Why do we get their origin stories again and again and again? Well, I think at this point it's partially tradition. But I also think it's the fact that most of the Legionnaires don't have big dramatic origins. It's I was born with magnetic powers and came to Earth. Uh, my people can all eat anything, and I came to Earth. I accidentally drank a bottle of fluid, and I'm a giant doofus. This is one that has explosions. It has family tension. It has lightning. Um, this telling of it really screws it up because it very clearly shows Mecht and Garth as twins and Ayla as their baby sister. Yeah. And that is clearly not how the Legion works. This is, I mean... <sighs> This one is frustrating to me for a number of reasons because mainly because of the twins issue thing. Yeah, because it, it misunderstands the the relationships of the children. It mischaracterizes them. But otherwise, it's emotionally really kind of effective. It's weird to see Lightning Lad going off in a huff. At the beginning of the issue, he blasts a screen and stomps away. We haven't seen him this weird and angry since his arm got eaten by the super Moby Dick of space. And, you know, he slaps Element Lad around and he zaps him. And It's a good Element thing Element Lad, Lad can change his body into rubber. Can he? Because when did he get that power? Because he can change into any element. No, he changes things into other elements. He doesn't change himself, or at least he hasn't, historically speaking. Well, he's insulating his whole body. Maybe he's changing the air around him to rubber. That's you know, probably... One atom, one atom above his body, he has turned that entire air structure into rubber. Right. But Garth, who is now remembering the wrong sibling, stomps off into space and, this is great, leaves his sister behind because she has Rigel fever. What What the heck is happening here? Both it's Fant- an, it's, both Princess oh Projectra God. and Light Lass have both succumbed to the Rigel fever and the only, I, I really, this when this happened for the second time, I'm like, I know that there were some stories that we skipped, a couple of issues that we skipped because they were repeat stories or something. Um, uh, the Legion of Superheroes number one through four that ran in 1974 or just before this and maybe 1973. Those were all reprints, though. Yeah. So where all of a sudden has everyone contracted Rigel fever? Uh, I think from the mid-70s swine flu outbreak. Um, that's the only thing I can think of. And really... Actually, that's a little further off in the future. So I don't know. It's weird that Carrie is using this same MacGuffin like three issues in a row. Or well, at least and I that don't, name. And I don't mind that everyone has the Rigel fever. Uh, mm-hmm. And that, you know, but I kind of want to see this mission where, you know, half the Legion has succumbed to this deadly virus. Again, people, get your kids vaccinated. And my thing is, she's in the first story on Rigel. It would literally Maybe she take, contracted it there. 
it would really take just one balloon saying, oh, I thought she'd be over her attack of Rigel fever that she got while fighting Universal on Rigel, you guys. But no, she's just lying there being blonde in a coma thinking about her brother in a, in and a how hyperbaric painful chamber. it was. Well, it's just oxygen yeah. tent, I guess. It's a hyperbaric chamber. It's she's fine. basically like, if I wasn't so weak, I could open my eyes and tell you why he's so upset. But instead, I will just lay here with my eyes closed and listen to you talk and speculate around me while I really know that he's flown off into space to a monument to our parents who were destroyed in a big splack accident. A splack accident, if you will. Yes. Splack is the sound of an explosion. By no, the way. it's like he's like. Uh, this space hopper is rented so, and it's so fast we should be entering Earth's atmosphere in a few short splack. Dad, Mom, oh no, an explosion of some sort. The splack is the explosion. Ex explosions don't go splack. No, but, A fly you know, hitting your windshield goes splack. Staticky explosion. Okay, so staticky breaking up radio It would make a squelch. It would be a squelch sound. Right, which sounds like splack. No, it'd be squelch. You know what? But anyway, you they go out and they argue. found out that the dad was drunk driving or something and ran into an asteroid. And so they decided to turn the very asteroid that killed the parents into a monument to their parents. And apparently Light Lass and, and uh, Lightning Lad were the only two who were apparently allowed to go near it because the minute that uh, uh, Light Lord shows up, that is what turns Garth into a raving lunatic. Lightning Lord. Yes, Lightning Lord. Yes. Garth actually is remarkably restrained for someone whose evil brother just showed up with killer sideburns because they they threaten each other. There's a lot of posturing and Garth, you know, zaps at him but does not destroy him. And he's like, fine, get away. But remember, we'll do. We will meet again. We will use this statue as our neutral zone. Mm -hmm. Again. A neutral zone where you and I can come together and we can have yelling arguments and I can look like Commander, uh, what's his name, Adama from uh, Battlestar Galactica again. He looks like Lauren Green, yeah. Yes, very Lauren Green looking, which isn't, isn't that who he's modeled on? Isn't he, don't we find out yep. like years from now that they, they model Lightning Lord on Lauren Green? I have never heard that. I'm going to have to look that up. I, somebody listening okay. out there, I'm sure... Uh, uh, Legion Omicron is listening and will either confirm or deny that Lightning Lord was based on Lorne Green. <laughs> okay. I'm just saying. Okay. Anyway, that's the story. That's the story. It's actually not a bad story. Emotionally speaking, it's remarkably effective, especially in Legion terms, because we don't ever get, you know, these, oh, my parents died moments in a mm -hmm. Legion comic. And even though they didn't really earn it by showing us the death earlier, it's all, you know, baked into this story. It works for me. Aside from the fact that, you know, that opening sequence is so weird. And then, of course, there's the Rigel fever thing. Have you noticed that Cosmic Boy has had black shoulder pads for a couple of issues now? Uh, no, I haven't been paying attention. I'm wondering if that counts as a new costume. I mean, it could, or it just could be some weird shading and stuff that's going on. Cause there's some weird shading that goes on in yeah. some of these shadow regions, but you know, the I, I'll agree. I kind of, even though I'm tired of looking at the lightnings, 
and their family family origins again and again and again. I do like that, even though we're kind of getting a changing of some of their origin, uh, <laughs> brother and sisters and twins and whatnot. Some ter- some terrible retconning uh, stuff that has to be ignored in later stories. Yeah, I do kind of like that. It's like we are. We are evil, you and I. We are the opposites, and yet here we can come together and have a civil conversation in the future, and I'm sure we will see them come together at the foot of the statue of their dead parents multiple times in the future so that they can discuss and have meaningful interactions. No. God dang Uh, it! But on the plus side, this story does set up next issue. Yes, which it is does. Which we is have not seen in Legion. It's so dumb. It's like, hey, let's put a lampshade on it. <laughs> it's nineteen seventy-four. Readers are eleven. You know, I'll grant them. We have seen a lot of short stories. Probably, I, I want to say since we switched over to Superboy, it seems like it's been mostly eight and ten-page short stories. So, seeing a transition point like this, seeing something that's an actual attempt at serialized storytelling yeah i'm fine with yeah and they're going to bring back the legion of supervillains although they're going to do something very confusing which we'll see next issue yeah an <clears throat> emperor um but that's fine is are we getting an artist change or is mike grill on here for a while grill is on for a while yet he's not leaving anytime soon what about carrie bates are we going to get rid of carrie bates anytime soon I don't believe so. Ooh. I don't believe we lose Kerry for another couple of years. And when we, we replace him with Roy Thomas, if my mind is correct. Oh, so. Matthew, what if I told you, according to my notes, what Jim, if Shooter, I told you? Jim Shooter is coming back. <gasps> Shooter? That's what it says in my notes. Shooter's coming back! That wraps it up for this installment of the Legion Clubhouse. Thank you so much for checking us out this week. I know, it's crazy. It's the 70s. It's a confusing time for everybody, but I think we can come away from this issue with a few lessons learned. That is correct. We've learned that if your illusions are good enough, they'll steal your jewelry. I think we've also learned that it's very important for us to vaccinate our kids to keep them from getting that horrible Rigel fever. And most importantly, if you can fly, for the love of God, don't let anyone make you super light. So until next time, remember, it's me, Lightning Lord, your brother, Matt. And I'm Bob's big boy, man. The Legion Clubhouse is a production of Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC, and is produced by Steven Schleicher. Your hosts were Matthew Peterson and Steven Schleicher. You can follow Matthew at Mighty King Cobra and Steven at Major Spoilers. You can follow this podcast on Twitter at Legion Clubhouse. If you have questions or comments, send them to podcast at Majorspoilers.com. I'm Jason Inman. Until next time, eat it, Grandpa. This podcast is copyright 2020 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC.